Hey there, it's Jason. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, where the mission is very simple. It is to improve always in all ways. Look, I am on a mission to create the absolute best version of myself. And through the Jason Wright Show, I let you know everything I'm doing to make that happen. I interview incredible, remarkable, brilliant individuals from all different walks of life. And I also try to bring you tools, tactics, and protocols that will help you in your own personal mission to improve always in always. Now, let's get started. Rob Howe. I mean, literally, we just said it. No warm up, random show, back in effect. Dude, I am so glad to see you, to catch up with you. You're one of my favorite humans, you know, and you can ask my wife if you ever see her. There's very few people that I give that mantle to that I say, this is just one of my favorite humans on planet Earth. And brother, you fit that mold. Thanks so much for coming back on the show, man. Well, yeah. Man, I, I feel the same way. I want to mirror that back to you. Uh, I'm a big Jason Wright fan, uh, and I, it's it's great in life. You, you can find kindred spirits through, uh, you know, just getting introduced and, you know, following that passion. Uh, man, and as I was listening to our random show from last year, uh, I'm just like, man, uh, shout out to two guys who just like to dig in <laughs> and figure out how things work uh, and, and uh, you know, are, are wanting to share that with other people. So uh, thank you for having me back. It's an honor to be back on. Uh, now my third visit on the uh, on the podcast. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, your listeners will get a whole lot out of this. Well, and so just so everybody knows, in case you have missed, <clears throat> the first episode was like a just regular. It was just you and I. We first met. And we just completely clicked over in your offices. That's back during the Texas Titan days, back whenever I first started my podcast. And then we kind of took a, a, a page from Tim Ferriss's playbook with Kevin Rose, the way his podcast started. It's now become The Random Show. He and Kevin get on there and they just kind of riff on whatever's on their mind. Two creative guys, entrepreneurs, you know, thinking about things and kind of processing them in real time. And then that's what you and I did with the last episode. I mean, we talked about crypto. We talked we talk health and wellness. We, we just, we cover everything. And so just so the audience knows, this is like a regular installment of the Jason Wright Show, which is to bring Rob Howe on and let's have just a random show, no holds barred. It's a, the, the mission is to just kind of figure things out, positivity, business, podcasting, you name it. So all right, so one of the things that you may have noticed, and I'm feeling weird, I, it's, I'm so self-conscious, Rob. Do you notice, can you see that I've got hardware in my mouth? Can you tell? I can, yeah, I can. So your your buddy, Jason, is a 48-year-old getting braces for the first time. I um, So I've needed these for like years. I have a really jacked up jaw and my teeth are grinding away. So if I, not that I'm not old already, but if I didn't do this, this is what I have to have done. I have to wear these braces for a year, then I have to go and get my jaw broken, reset, get surgery, and then wear them for another year. And this will prevent me from losing all my teeth in my really old age. And so I just had the top put on yesterday. So now I feel like I'm spitting all over the camera. I'm lisping. And so, so anyway, so that's one of the new things in my life. But more importantly, you said you brought a list. You reviewed the last random show. Where are we going to kick this thing off, dude? What, what topic do we want to cover first? Well, um, first of all, I, I just let you know that 14-year-old Rob feels your pain because I definitely had the full braces going on. And I was, I was very lucky uh, in my social like hierarchy. I, I, I didn't have my braces going into high school. So my, my parents were like, let's get this done before he gets to high school so he doesn't have to deal with it. So I was very lucky for that. But uh, props to you, man, for going through that. It sounds like it long-term is going to be a big, uh, you know, a big benefit for you, but, uh, so. you know, you sound good. I'll let you know. You okay. Know, first, first podcast with braces. You sound good. All right. I appreciate it, man. If I start lisping or spitting at the camera, just say, Hey, Jada, chill, chill out, man. You're getting a little excited. The, the, the hard, the hardware is getting so, in the way. Well, I, I want to prepare for this episode because with a random episode, obviously you and I can hop on a podcast link and we can talk about whatever for, you know, for the full time. So I want to make sure to deliver value and follow up to the Jason Wright Show listeners and audience. So following up from episode 152, and if you're listening to it right now and you haven't heard that, you know, maybe go back and check this out. 
Um, but we talked about crypto mm -hmm. and we talked about a, a golf community that I was a part of. And it was so interesting, like immediately after our podcast, we kind of went into this crypto winter where uh, prices like really went way down and, uh, you know, it caused like general market consumers to kind of get out of the game. And um, actually, it was also kind of supplanted by AI in the sort of tech zeitgeist where, you know, we have, uh, you know, in how many articles now are there every week about AI? Uh, and crypto was kind of in that place prior, and it seems like AI is, is really, uh, you know, to use a sports term, uh, crypto gave up a 3-1 lead uh, and, and lost yeah. you know, uh, to, to AI, really. And so um, the good news is uh, Lynx DAO, which we talked about last mm -hmm. time, is now kind of rebranded to Lynx Golf, uh, which makes it a little bit more inclusive. They also have a membership element that is non-crypto, so you can actually just subscribe as, with your regular kind of credit card, bank transaction members. And they have successfully purchased the first golf course. Uh, and that is a, a, a course and a, one of the original Lynx courses called Spay Bay in Scotland. Oh, and wow. because I was a holder of the NFT, uh, I was able to uh, get a really uh, cost-effective, low-cost membership initiation. So uh, you're, you're looking at an actual member of Spay Bay in Scotland via the Lynx DAO crypto community. So that's my first golf course uh, membership. Uh, well done, sir. Membership now because, of, because of crypto. So uh, what a cool what a cool thing and weird. Uh, I haven't been there. Now I've got to schedule a trip to go to Scotland to visit my home course. Uh, but, uh, you know, even talking to my wife, it's like, hey, uh, we joined a country club. She's like, oh, cool. When can we go? Well, we got to talk about where it is. Uh, so, uh, you know, just a little bit different, but um, a community that I think has opened up my eyes to uh, the power of community. We talk about community building a lot in uh, in podcasting and social media marketing, and we look at it as followers, right? Or or reach or downloads. But in a real community, and, and as I think about communities across the country uh, that I've been familiar with, you think of like Chambers of Commerce or Lions Club uh, or, or things of that nature, and that's really what can we bring together and what value can we add to each other as a group? And I think that's what has been really interesting and inspiring about this the Lynx golf community is that they have secured discounts for their members from almost every top golf and apparel brand. So uh, if you spend a bunch of money on golf every year, which if you are a golfer, you do because that's just part of the gig, mm -hmm. um, you can save a bunch of money and like basically uh, in one year of buying golf balls from Callaway or, or a new set of clubs, you can offset uh, and come out ROI positive on the cost of your membership. So I think that that was a really cool a democratized digital way of building community that I hadn't seen before. And I'm very lucky to be a part of, of links. All right. So tell me how the community interacts with one another. Do you guys like have a, is, is there a social media component to this? Do you have, are you going to plan on meetups in Scotland? Cause that's one of the things I do find fascinating whenever, whenever we last spoke and I was really interested in NFTs because I do think it is a cool way to build community. Everyone has buy-in. And the cool thing is, it's kind of like the world we live in now, which is kind of this, uh, semi-physical world. I mean, you and I don't get to see each other in person that much, even though you're all just over in Dallas and I'm 90 miles away in Tyler, we don't get to see each other in person that often. So we've kind of got this hybrid of like a physical slash virtual friendship. I think NFT kind of fits into that. So how, how do you guys work as a community to meet up and, and, and add that physical component of interaction to the virtual? It's actually a really great question. And I, and I know Tim Ferriss hates when people say great question, but I got to give you props on that one. But um, most of the community communication on a day to day happens on Discord. So for okay. those uh, who are listening and don't know about Discord, it's, it's essentially um, a decentralized version of Teams or Slack uh, that you can make public. So for links, links golf, we have the links golf Discord and there's probably 100 channels, uh, all from major announcements to just the community message board to uh, individual geographies. So there's a Texas board, there's a there's an Austin and Dallas board for people if you wanna link up and play golf together. So um, it, it's basically everything that you would want from the community happens on uh, on Discord. And then there's your typical channels, like you know they've got all the social media platforms and they make cool content on Instagram and, uh, and TikTok. They've got um, email newsletter, typical communications that go out uh, on a weekly and monthly basis. So it's, it's very typical of what you would see from a brand marketing. The, I think the community aspect mostly, though, takes place uh, via social media, Discord, and then they do announcements uh, in, in Twitter spaces. So uh, if they, they'll have like a, for a while there when they were announcing the new golf course every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central, 
they had a community uh, announcement table basically and you and they gave a short presentation or announcement or had a guest on and then the community could ask questions and do q a so it's very engaged uh, but like to your point it wasn't as much in person as it was a mix of you know personal social media and opting into these sort of events uh in the virtual uh the virtual space and who is kind of like the administer or administration uh you know the component of it how, how does that all work that is it that is i think the what links does better than almost any other digital community that i've been a part of over the years being involved in a lot of social media groups social media uh, working on social media campaigns meeting other uh, creators like yourself every group i think online whether it's a facebook group or a discord server or an, an email database is all it all stems from the moderator. So if you have a great moderator, a great community manager, and that's the title of one of the one of the guys on the Lynx side. So he's his full-time job is Lynx now community manager. So he has a, an editorial calendar of prompts and announcements and moderation. So he is a full-time person dedicated to facilitating community online. So uh, and in person as you know, when when those in-person events come up. And those are just obviously fewer and farther between. Uh, but you know, they, they, we go as he goes effectively. His name is Cooper. And he, so he has a, an icon and, um, is known and welcomes you during that sort of onboarding process into links and, and the discord server. So even if you're not a links member, you can have access to the discord, but then there are gated channels that require a membership. So you can, there's sort of the freemium side and then, you know, try to sell you into, uh, you know, where you're able to get the discount codes and where you're able to book. Uh, tea times they have a reciprocity program which was a word i was not familiar with until i got into links but effectively other links members who have country club memberships at other places can basically bring you on as a guest and you link up through uh the links platform so uh that, that i think ultimately to sum that up every great community has a great moderator or a great community manager because you have to hear you have to listen you have to respond and, and move things forward and really uh, cater to what the community wants is there a set number of memberships? Like if you, if I, so there of the is. NFT, like I'm thinking of, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong. So the only way I know how to look at it, Rob, is like, okay, a, uh, a company goes public, they issue a certain amount of, of shares of stock from the treasury. And if they ever want to create more shares, you can do that, but you dilute the existing shares and that's, you know, decided by a board and that sort of thing. So in this case, there's so many, you know, holders of the NFTs, which is a finite number of quote unquote members or NFT holders. How do, how do you administrate the number of members and, and NFT holders? So I think one thing that Lynx did that was really smart is there were only 5,000 um, passes, uh, you know, units, mm -hmm. you, you would say like shares uh, okay. when, uh, when they, when they minted at mint. So okay. they have not minted any more of the NFTs. There's a global and the leisure membership and those were capped at 5,000. They haven't minted anymore. The good news is like over 90% of the people who hold them have not listed them for resale. So typically in, a, in an NFT environment, people will buy multiple and then they'll immediately list them for sale on a marketplace. And you can tell which ones are listed for sale and which ones are not. Um, and that's all public. So that's part on the blockchain. What Lynx did that was really smart is that they realized, hey, a lot more people are interested in golf then are interested in in crypto and nfts um, and we offer benefits to people who aren't even maybe on the crypto side and are just very interested in the golf side so because of the crypto community and the capital that we were able to raise and because of the momentum that we were able to build uh, links started to extend outside of just nfts and crypto and into a bigger community of golf so they launched a, a subscription platform that's more like a uh, like a Patreon or or any other type of like a Costco really and, and to me it's like the Costco of golf in the crypto cloud you know is how you know Lynx now has kind of evolved so now you can they have different levels of uh, just monthly subscriptions that you can buy annual subscriptions you can buy just like you would with anything else so with software so I think the lowest one is like ten dollars a month and you get access to a certain number of the benefits. Now, the, on the crypto side, it all, I think it definitely benefits you to hold one of the NFTs. Uh, you certainly don't have to continue to pay the recurring revenue and all those things, um, but you also get preferred discounts when new things launch. So, for example, when the 
country club memberships uh, initiations went live, the people who were the global NFT holders had access a full 36 hours before the next level of NFT holders. And then that was another 12 hours before it went sale to the public. So you get a little bit of like prefer preferential access based on the time that you've been involved in the level that you're involved. So was there an agreement? Like how, how was this, the golf course in Scotland, how was it chosen? How do you find the physical real estate that you attach to the NFE, NFT participants? I, this is an oversimplification because I think there were a lot of different steps in the process, but part of the NFT and blockchain capabilities uh, include uh, the right to vote. So uh, a DAO is the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. We talked about that on the last random show. Part of the function of that were uh, in, in the, uh, on the blockchain, uh, proposals would go out for the Lynx community. And so it would say, uh, hey, we wanna hire a, uh, a consultant firm to help us locate a golf course that we could turn into a top 100 course. Uh, we wanna hire a course designer. Uh, we wanna hire a placement firm. Hey, hey, we found a golf course that's available. Do we have permission and support from the community to make a bid? Uh, and so during that process was the most engaged I had ever seen the community. Uh, when, you know, at the very beginning, it was, everybody, it was new, it was novel, crypto was up. Uh, people were talking about it all the time. Uh, then uh, after our last random show interview, uh, the market went way down on the crypto side and people uh, lost a little bit of interest. I think they were you know, focusing on other things, but when the golf course came up, because that was the goal, we want to buy a golf course. And so when that became possible, uh, I had never seen uh, the percentage of people involved were so, it was so high uh, and the participation was so high. Uh, and honestly, tensions, it, it, you would think it would be tense because there were people who disagreed and there were, there were disagreements. It was not a unanimous decision, but it was close. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was so interesting to me was that when uh, opposing viewpoints got brought up, how they were received. And it was a really great example of a community that we don't always have to agree on everything, but we want to ask all the right questions. We want to think about why we joined this group. And so there were some folks who were saying we shouldn't buy a golf course overseas first because most of our members are in the US. So why would why would we uh, you know, purchase real estate uh, this far away? And on the other side, uh, it became uh, part of the name is Lynx. Uh, this is a very rare opportunity to purchase an original Lynx course. There's only about 175 of them uh, in the world. And so this one came up, came up. Uh, it was, it's in a location that was really preferable. Uh, the, uh, the, the community of owners prior were motivated to sell it. Uh, and they, we had this great opportunity to get it for, uh, you know, a good market price. And they, and, and also they wanted to sell it to someone who wanted to usher it and take care of it. And I think that was another part of it. So we had the, the course design team, we had the consultancy, we had the links Dow executive team, and they all went in and said, hey, we, we're gonna vote on putting in a bid. Do you guys agree we should do that? And I think at that point, uh, about 95% voted in favor of putting the bid out. Um, and, and in that process, because people were pushing back on some of it and asking like, why are we focused on this? Or, or why are we doing this in Scotland for the first time? It allowed them to give, bring us into their larger plan. So that showed us that they, they're gonna try to own 10 courses in 10 years. So in, when 10 years of Lynx style comes, they want to have 10 courses in the Lynx golf, uh, golf club. So uh, it was cool to see like part of that. It's like, oh, this isn't the only club that we're going to buy. This is only the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I'm just connected to the entrepreneurial aspect to the sort of doing something that's never been done. And I also am, am seeing the rewards for participation. So when you get in early and you do something that really hasn't come to life yet and you're sort of championing the Lynx cause, uh, that gets you into other opportunities. And so, you know, I uh, was pretty firm on wanting to be a part of it because then I get to be part of the first crypto golf club that owns a real course. That is, okay, that's cool. And, and I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, you're right with AI taking all the uh, oxygen out of every room you walk into these days in the business world. There hasn't been a lot of talk about NFTs or crypto all that much. And so my question for you is, so you're still b bullish on, on digital currency or NFTs, you're still feeling like it's a viable play out there in the ether that's going to be kind of just normal life. You feel you're still feeling like it's a it's a viable it deal. I, I do, and I'll tell you why. And this is something I've learned 
you know, this is uh, this is something I learned from the crypto community. A lot of the sort of thought leaders in the space, when when crypto is bullish, uh, I think the the headline is like, wow, you can put a little bit of money in here and make a ton of money. And there certainly have been people who have done that. Uh, we also see like the bad actors, the FTXs of the world, some of these other exchanges that have been, uh, you know, basically ripping people off and running Ponzi schemes and like uh, and doing things that. Uh, you know, are are illegal and and you know at this point like inviting more regulation in. Um, but also, I see these builders who are bullish on the technology outside of just the financial application. So, uh, voting, community building, uh, property ownership, uh, decentralized exchanges of, of money, and you know I think that that is still I'm still very bullish on that. Uh, I do think that uh, there will be a point where we log in to everything through a crypto wallet. Uh, because it's secure, because it's on chain, um, it'll be the future of multi-factor authentication. Uh, it's going to take time because you're right; AI has supplanted it. Uh, and every business conversation that you will walk into, you know, you're going to have some sort of element of AI. Uh, and I think that they will work together. But I think for now, AI definitely in the consumer mindset, more people are interested in ChatGPT and Bard and OpenAI uh, and all of these other companies. And you see, like, and now Elon Musk is is starting another uh, AI company. It's it's absolutely, uh, you know, the, the villain in the top uh, or in the uh, the Mission Impossible movie is an AI. You know, we're in the age of AI. Right. And I think uh, crypto uh, is now less popular with the consumer aspect, but it's more popular within the technical community. And I think that that's going to be good long term. Well, moving to the next like random topic, I mean, a natural uh, one of the things I wanted to really get to, to discuss with you was AI. So Tell me, I mean, because you're a creative. I mean, it's your vocation. In addition to being podcaster and all the things, I mean, literally, you you know, you're 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 a modern day uh, madman. You know, and that's that's what you do, dude. Right. And so AI is such a a, gr a great component of your business now. So I just want to get your take on AI: bullish, pessimistic. You know, uh, the good, the bad. How do you see it? I am bullish, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think right now you you have two sides in sort of the the high level um, in sort of the, the the headlines. You have oh AI is taking everybody's jobs, uh, mm -hmm. and that's and that's bad. Uh, and then on the other side, you have AI is going to take over and end the world. Uh, you know, and it's like it's, you know those are the, those are the two headlines. And I think the truth is is very much in the in the middle uh, as it usually is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what I'm uh, you, you're right. Uh, in the modern day madman and, and advertising agency, digital agency, um, I think we have to be open to change. Um, and what I brought my executive team in last summer and I said, hey, AI is coming big and we need to be able to talk to it. So how are we going to use it for ourselves? Uh, and so I used two examples uh, from, uh, from pop culture and, and, uh, and movies and video games because that's you know what I like and I think it was very tangible. So on one hand, we have Skynet. And Skynet is replacing humans with robots. Like that's their that's their their jam. And we know, uh, you know, the, the Terminator universe and all of our Terminator heads out there know how that ends up. On the other side of it, we have uh, Mega Man, which is a, a, a Capcom video game, video game of a man, a human man who wears a robot suit that makes him pow powerful and able to fight robot bad guys. So uh, my, my message in this very serious executive meeting was: we are going to be Mega Man versus Skynet. We're going to take our human qualities. And we're going to use technology to augment that and give us more creativity, more time, uh, you know, help us eliminate, uh, you know, you, you as a writer know writer's block and the empty page can sometimes be like the biggest thing to get over uh, that fighting that resistance. So how can we use this AI technology to overcome some of that resistance and, uh, and move those things forward and make our people better? And we even came, kind of came up with this sort of uh, tongue in cheek saying, humanity as a service, uh, because we're people, we're, we're not just a, an outsourced tech provider. And I think that is really the risk that we run in this age where we don't see face to face very often. We don't have a, like you and I, you know, we're mostly virtual friends. Um, we need to make sure that we don't pigeonhole ourselves with our clients into just a virtual cloud based vendor. We've got to be people because this is a people business. And we move customers uh, to their desired outcome. We work with clients to help them uh, accomplish their goals, get their promotions, and, and help help their businesses. And so uh, we want to use technology 
to inform that, to give us more time, to give us more power. Uh, and we don't want to replace people with robots. Because when you try to do that, uh, if you give the robot the autonomy and you give the AI the autonomy, we've all read the weird, it, just, it doesn't quite sound human. It's not quite right. It's almost there, but not quite. Um, and I get really fascinated by you know, these creators and these creative people who spend a weekend learning this technology and can build entire websites and a portfolio or photography portfolios and just looking extremely creative on how people can use technology to uh, take what they're doing to the next level. So that's my sort of, that, that's my POV on AI, especially in the creative world. And I'm with you. I'm excited about it. And I did the exact same thing uh, about, well, Abby, who you know, uh, my, my youngest daughter, who, by the way, she's, uh, she's moving to Manhattan next week. Uh, she's, yeah, she's graduated from CU and she wants to be in the, in the big city for a little while. So she's moving to uh, Manhattan awesome. and she's got a job there and she's off dad's payroll. So excited about that. But uh, I told her as a, as a creator, as a writer herself, I said, you know, just start understanding it. And I, you know, I first subscribed to Jasper, I think was the first one before I even really dug into ChatGPT. I just wanted to understand. And man, here's the thing that I think AI does to your point, all of the kind of brainless stuck stuff, it can kind of get you off center. Um, it, 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 it allowed for me what I've been using it for. And of course there's this new, um, I guess this new job title now of prompt engineer, which I think is kind of, we, we knew that this would happen, that they'd start, you know, just naming stuff that you're doing, but yep. it is truly remarkable how if you will play with AI enough, you will understand that it's really only as good as the human input to get the, the really uh, creative output from it. And I love it. I think uh, Gary Vee, who I know you and I both are fans of, uh, he, he said it best whenever he said, you know, it doesn't have to be a this or this. It should be a this and this. And that's what I love about AI. It's it's me and the AI. And, and dude, like some of the things like <clears throat> when I have to write a job description, for example, or just or a, or a very rudimentary, just kind of a top top view business plan that I'm going to really kind of flesh out, you can actually prompt it to just get some of that crappy, just mind numbing work that you don't want to really exercise your brain cells on and reserve your true cognitive load for the stuff that requires that human creativity. And, um, and that's what I really enjoyed. I'm, Hey, I'm bullish on AI. I think that and it, it is going to be weird. Like there are some professions. Um, for example, I've done things like played with it to draft a will I've drafted employment contracts. I've drafted, I think if you are in those, those positions that are like you support the the person with the the law degree the the whatever I I, I read uh, the other day or that basically X ray technicians I think AI can actually analyze X rays as well or better than humans because it removes the human error from it so there are going to mm -hmm. be some disruptive technologies but here's something that's really cool man I was out at a large manufacturer out in East Texas gosh a couple months ago. And one of the things that they're having a real hard time doing, and this is, I think, universal across the country, it's weird. We hear all the time that manufacturing is in such short supply in America. We don't manufacture anything anymore. But then you go to those manufacturers that are left, and one of the things that they're having a really hard time doing is finding people that do manufacturing work. It's this really weird paradox. And I was talking to the owner of this, I mean, incredibly successful company, and he was showing me this new robot that they had that they had bought, I think it was like a $12 million robot to weld these different, uh, these things that they were manufacturing. And he had taken one welder and trained him to operate the robot. So the one welder is making 80K a year now to operate the welding robot, whereas it used to take like six welders at 80,000. So I, I'm that, what that showed me is like, and, and AI is gonna probably take over some of that workload. So I was like, okay, well that's kind of cool because what's gonna happen is these welders at one time, which we're still gonna need, I think all of the hard skills, they're gonna win in AI. They're, they're Because right now, there's not enough of them. There's, there, AI can't go fix my plumbing. It just can't. AI cannot fix my electrical work, but it can go to, to what we were talking about earlier, like this guy with the welding, it can help that dude 
do his job better. You know, you 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 create a, an AI component to, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, welding the perfect bead or having to get creative with some fabrication. Then all of a sudden you've got the welder and the AI working in conjunction. So I'm with you. I think it is definitely a this and this versus a this or this that we're going to see with AI. I 100% agree. I want to I want to talk about your example really quick because you have your uh, very complicated uh, welding uh, technique. And for those who don't know, like look into pipe fitters and oh, welding. Gosh. And uh, there are so many different levels. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, there's a shortage for hard skilled labor right now. Uh, it's going only going to get worse. I think. Uh, and and the pendulum is over here. I think we'll swing back like. Uh, as younger uh, folks uh, who are even younger than me, Gen Z, start to work with their hands and, and learn trades. And I think uh, I think that will be a part of the next 20 years uh, of the economy. Absolutely. Uh, but let's just take a brief uh, let, let's take a brief um, break to a galaxy far, far away. And what do we know about our uh, about our sci fi uh, TV and video and, and movie programs? Almost every human has a droid at their house. So, you know, if you use that, if you take that, you know, $12 million robot that's a welder and you kind of say, all right, well, 10 years in the future, that robot's going to, with the same capabilities, is going to cost $10,000 and is going to be accessible to consumers. And you have this robot wheeling around your house that can replace and hang drywall. Uh, It can can cut uh, two by fours with a laser in the garage and move everything around and help you uh, basically be your skilled labor. Uh, it's trained, it has access to the internet, it, it has all the schematics, and it can do it precisely. So I don't think that we're that far away from uh, a world like that happening. And then, you know, I think on the other side, it's like, well, what if it becomes sentient and lasers me in half and during the night? And I think, um, you know, that is uh, obviously a, con- a concern uh, with any kind of technology, but I think that's more on the sensationalized side. I think that there are real practical applications that we're not as far away from that are very similar to, you know, 2001, a space odyssey and, uh, and the Jetsons kind of, kind of future. And what we know about sci-fi is that because we're familiar with it we kind of optimize and like make, make that self-fulfilled prophecy at times it's because we see it, we understand how it works. And then, uh, you know, smart in, intuitive, uh, you know, imaginative people bring it to life. So, uh, I'm interested in uh, in the future of, of AI and robotics and how it helps people do more. And for me as a content creator, and it, you know, it sounds like for you as well, uh, it helps you get started for mm-hmm. you know employment contracts. Like those are pretty standard, uh, and you can plug in. And, and for me, I built a sitemap uh, the other day where I knew what I wanted to put in, but I didn't have the technical expertise to code it to to fit into a map framework. But ChatGPT did. So I said, hey, can you put this? Can you put this, uh, you know, list of a sitemap into a, you know, a map format? And it did, and it just did it right away. And so, what would have taken me probably a couple hours of googling, and I would have had to learn, uh, and it would have been a little bit clunky. Now the technology just did it, no problem. That's so cool, and I, I that's so cool. And the thing is, too, I'll, and I, this is kind of the philosophical philosophical side of it to a degree. I mean, people are worried that the machines are going to turn on us, and. Um, I don't worry about that so much, one, just because there's no fruit in worrying about stuff like that. And so I just don't allow myself to do it. But secondly, yep. uh, I think it was Rogan that said not too long ago, Joe Rogan was talking about how, well, we as humans, we have the ability to go kill the gorillas, but we don't kill the gorillas. It's because there's no benefit. Now, now somebody would say, yes, but man has hunted for sport besides food and killed some, you know, lions and beautiful animals. Okay. But a human with a consciousness and an ego, which a machine does not have, has a reason, has that, that the ego attached to having that lion or this thing that you would like, I would never want to kill, but they, they have, there's some, something attached to that. A robot would never have a benefit to killing a human being, I guess, unless they determine that it's better for, whatever they developed, I guess, somehow some kind of weird conscious that was better for them. But I, I think that's the difference. And I don't, I think you remove ego and therefore you remove ambition from a robot that doesn't have a soul, that doesn't have an ego, doesn't have any of those things. That's why, that's where I think the breakdown is. And that gives me just kind of like a, why, why would they turn on us if there's no benefit? There has to be a benefit to eliminating the humans. And, 
They don't need food. They don't need water. They don't need money. They don't need power. And that's those are the things that humans, you know, humans need. Humans want those sex, are the we power, money. <laughs> exactly. And so it, it, you you remove all those those vain pursuits that humans have attached to them. So I think that's what keeps us safe. Is the, the the things that we pursue, they don't they don't really have the lust for. But it is going to be fun to see where it all unfolds. I do, you know, to anyone listening to the random show right now, if you have, it's not like you have to go out and quote unquote learn AI. And that's the thing too. I think a lot of people, they think it's, oh my God, I've got to like, it's like learning coding or something like that. No, I would say just go out and check it out. Just go, go, go get a, a chat GPT account and just mess around with it. So just so at, at, a, at a minimum you go, oh, this is nothing to be scared of. That, that to me, I want people to do that. And I want, cause I want everything I know. That's what the whole, my whole deal with the improve always and always. And why I love to teach is like, I want everyone to know everything I know and pick up the bits and pieces that help make their life more fulfilling. Because I think that just makes for a better world, better community. If everybody is truly pursuing as close to their full potential as possible, it just makes for a happier world. So I'm all in. I 100% agree. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love coming on the show uh, and, I, and I love consuming your content and sharing it. I think what I would say, I had this great college professor who said the secret to getting the right answer is asking the right question. Mm. And so if you can learn how to communicate with, uh, with the prompts, uh, you don't need to be a, become a prompt engineer. But I think what's really interesting about uh, innovation, and this is another great quote from, from a college professor that I, that I love, is innovation is the creative destruction of the economy as we know it. And so I'll give one quick example uh, of, of three phases of human life that most of your listeners, I, I assume, will be familiar with. So prior to Google search, we had like the Dewey Decimal System. And you had to go to a library. Uh, the reason I know this is because my, my dad went to, uh, was doing his master's in the 60s and then got drafted. Uh, so, and then didn't go back to finish until 2012. And I remember he called me uh, when he was uh, finishing up his master's in 2012. He said, man, this is the easiest I've ever written a paper. I just Google, I just search in my LexisNexis and it shows me the article and I can save it and I can cite it. It's so easy. Back when I was in college before, I had to find the passage, uh, you know, you and I had to hand scribe it down and then take it back to my typewriter where I hammered it out. Uh, and he's like, that just took so long. And so uh, it, uh, hopefully everybody's still bearing with me here. So we had the library, the Dewey Decimal System, then we had Google search, uh, and we even had voice search where we could ask, you know, prompts. And that lasted about 20 years. So Dewey Decimal System, let's give it 80 years. Then we had Google search for about 20 years, internet search 20 years. And now that's already passed because our kids uh, and, you know, our and our kids' kids are never going to be able to type. They're never going to experience typing something into a search engine. They're going to have an AI assistant that's bolted onto all the search engines, and it's going to give them the best answer based on their based on their query. Mm -hmm. So you'll have a personal Google assistant. That's basically what Bard is, and yeah. ChatGPT. When when you can uh, and the premium version, you can bolt it into a search engine. So you say, hey, how do I do this? And it aggregates all the information for you uh, instantly. Uh, looking through millions of articles and sources and finding which ones are better uh, and gives you the one recommendation. So if you can ask the right questions and you know how to use the prompt, you can get to that information much quicker uh, than having to go through and sort it yourself. And so that's how I think of, of the, the immediate future of AI is simplifying search uh, and, and being able to give an instant result uh, mined through the entire internet based on the specificity of your search. You know, one of the things that I really hope, Rob, and that's one of the things I try to do with the show, and I know you're, <clears throat> you're kind of cut from the same cloth, is we hear all of these widening gaps between, you know, whether it's income, health, whatever. And what I try to convey, and like the, the double-edged sword of AI is that some people look at it and they say, oh, this is going to make my life so much easier and I'm going to wallow in the ease so that I don't have to put forth the strain, right? And that that does, that does concerns me. Then there's others like you and I that are like, oh my gosh, this increases the ease of the crap I don't want to do so I can go do some even more creative and hard stuff that where I really have to use brain power and then go to the next level. I, my hope is that as the the world continues to evolve and technology continues to evolve exponentially and 
this ability for us to learn and to grasp and to, and again, to tap into our own uh, human potential that more and more people will, will realize the true benefit and the healthy dopamine inducing rush that optimizing your mind and your body and really just, I mean, crushing whatever that may be, whether it's art, whether it's business, whether it's music, what, I don't care what it is. I, I just hope that people, and there's nothing you can do about it other than just do this stuff, you know, spread the word of, hey, go out and learn it, learn AI and go, go pick up something and go learn something for the hell of it and watch how much fun you have doing it. Watch how there, there'll, there'll be this weird thing that happens that the reward will be the knowledge in and of itself that you're not having to learn something for a test or something like that. You just learn something new. I hope that with AI, it frees people up to start pursuing productive pursuits just to get better as a species. That's, that's, that's my, that's my Pollyanna hope for, for the world. I, I love it. I, and I think it's ambitious. Uh, I think you're right though. It is not a replacement for doing hard things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I often thought early in my career uh, that I would get to a point eventually where everything was easy, that I was master of the universe and that I could you know, just speak and all the problems would be solved because I had all the experience and I, I was very capable and, and, and all the things that we like to tell ourselves. Um, and I realized uh, recently, and I, and I read a book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, uh, right, right around the beginning of 2022. Um, and it quantifies like the average human lifespan is 4,000 weeks. And when you think of it that way, it doesn't seem very long. Right. Uh, and then on the other on the other hand, uh, every generation has someone living to a centenarian lifespan. Basically, every generation has somebody who lives 100 years. And when we think of it that way, we're only 20 centenarian lifespans from the time of Christ and and like you know the turn of like zero AD. Mm-hmm. And so we really haven't been doing this that long. Um, and so uh, the that gave me a little bit of, of relief because I, I was able to relieve myself of the pressure of filling, of figuring every single thing out. Yeah. And once you make peace with the fact that life is sort of one set of insoluble problems, one after another, after another, um, and then you die, uh, that, uh, that that's it. No, nobody makes it out, uh, without dying yep. and, and someone will speak your name for the last time. So don't chase immortality. So I think, um, you know, I'm coming back around to, to what you're saying, because I think this is also going to link, link into what we talked about last time about ice tubs and doing hard things because, um, AI can make some things easier, but that just frees up more time for you to do the hard things. Yep. And I think, um, I think a, a real problem that I see both with people that I manage and people that I work alongside, uh, is that we live in this time where. We think that our, we beat ourselves up for not being experts at something immediately. We have a lack of beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. And we forget that the first time that we did something as a kid uh, or, you know, as we're growing up, we were bad. But as adults, we, f- we, don't, we don't acknowledge that we need to ac- acquire those skills. Or we don't acknowledge that we're going to improve. We just want to be, we want the result. We want to be right there. Because for many of us, like we can on Amazon Prime, uh, I can think of something type it in and have it on my door in two hours. Yep. We have this instant, we live in a society where instant gratification is available to us. Right. And uh, our brains and our, the dopamine in our minds are not wired for the opulence of today. Mm-hmm. Like we, we can have anything we want whenever we want it. Mm-hmm. And so when we go into a difficult task, we beat ourselves up and we're really hard on ourselves for not being expert level on day one. And so I think that's what I hope some of this technology can allow us to do is allow us the space to be bad and to learn and to grow because uh, you know this from physical fitness. Uh, It's painful to get stronger, Mm -hmm. but it's not, the pain is not a dirty word. Stress is not a dirty word. You got to stress your body to get stronger, to get those results. It's not easy, uh, but you keep returning to it and you get better and you get stronger and you're able to see those results. So I think um, that's what I hope we don't get to um, that. We we don't let technology turn us into uh, avoiders of the beginner's mindset, to avoiders of the difficult things. But we allow some of the simple stuff to be automated or really simplified by the technology, so that we can focus on the things that help us improve always in all ways. I love it. I love it. I'm going to write this. We need to write something on this, dude. Maybe we need to co-author a blog or or something because. 
Um, I mean, I like this, like the idea of free to do the hard things, you know, um, uh, you know, making the, cause the, the thing is that AI and all this technology is allowing us to do is, is not necessarily to make life easier. It's just to, like you said, clear the path for the hard things. And I think that's what people need to understand is that if you can do one hard thing to your point, there's just going to be an even harder thing that's going to find its way to you. And that's a good thing. And I think our brains are such, you know, whenever you look into our ancestral brain, it is wired to take the path of least resistance, right? For survival, our brain is, our brain is wired for one thing ancestrally to survive. And our, so therefore that's why whenever you push your VO2 max really heavy, your body will go, you're going to die. You better stop. You're breathing so hard. You're, you're, you could literally pass out. It's because your brain is telling you, this is not good. You need to stop. And then you have to kind of let that relax and go, no, I'm going to go forward. And that will prepare you to go even harder and further. And then once you've done that, there's satisfaction in that. And so I think that's, I think that kind of sums up the whole AI conversation is that it will free us up to do the harder things and because harder things are more meaningful. They're more purposeful. They add more value to the world. I mean, you know, solving the world's biggest problems are always the hard problems. If it were easy, then they would be solved. They wouldn't be problems that we talk about for right. decade after decade. So I think that's a great way to look at AI. Well done. Uh, well, you know, again, thank you for the prompt. I think that, uh, you know, when you ask the right questions, I think that leads you to those answers. And I think that's true in, in AI uh, and, and elsewhere. I want to talk, I want to talk about you for a minute because I, I've been following some of your training. Uh, yeah. I know you, you just got, uh, you just got uh, some gym upgrades. Oh yeah. I want to know, we, we have been, and I think we follow a lot of the same folks. We're influenced by a lot of the same folks. So um, knees over toes guy. Yeah. Uh, are you, are you know, walking backwards? Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Ben Patrick, mm-hmm. I, I'm a subscriber, uh, as, as I grow as an athlete, as I mature as an athlete in mm-hmm. my, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now, um, tonight, you, uh, you guys won't know, but at the time of recording tonight is my, uh, I have a third championship game, uh, in my, my third basketball league. I won the first two. So I'm trying for the triple crown. Boom. Um, and knees over toes guy, I think the cold plunging, like my recommitment to, understanding how my body works for longevity uh, and also for adaptability mm-hmm. uh, has opened up this entire new sort of lifespan of my athletic career. So I, I'd love to hear you talk uh, as well about, you know, the things you learned from Ben Patrick and, and others like him uh, and, you know, how you're, how that's influenced your training. Man. Okay. Now you're, you're going to get me geeking out on, you know, one of my favorite topics, as you know. All right. So let's go to a macro level. First of all, anyone out there listening, when it comes to knees over toe, whether it's uh, it's what whether it's Ben Patrick, whether it's Peter Tia, Ben Greenfield, uh, Lane Norton. For me, it's all about one of the things you mentioned to longevity, and it's not just I'm not interested in just living longer. I want to live healthy longer. There's a great video that Peter Tia has on his website that basically exp- explains getting the most out of your your marginal years, like pushing your marginal years. This is the last decade of your life where it's below 50% of what you could actually do on your during your good years, right? So what we want to do is we want to be able to, when we're 90, still pick up our great grandchildren and go out for a walk, you know, have a VO2 max at that age of, I mean, if you could have a VO2 max of 30, you'd be killing it as a 90 year old. That'd be amazing. But be able to just be yeah. active and enjoy life. And then, you know, the optimal life is to, live to 95, 98, you're, you're healthy, you're doing everything, and then boom, just drop dead. You know, just all of a sudden the circuit just stops. And what we do in America in particular, or kind of any industrialized nation, first world nation, is we we move along and then we, we keep people alive. We go below that 50% threshold and then we just kind of extend our being alive longer, even though we're not really able to do that much. So for me, what I have really focused on is living healthier longer. Secondly, like, I think that to, and what I try to tell everyone, for me, health and wellness, yes, I'm just as vain as the next guy. I want my wife to be attracted to me. I want her to look at me and go, wow, you look amazing with your shirt off, whatever, even though I'll hardly ever go around with my shirt off just because I just, I don't, I just don't. But I, but more than anything for me, man, you know, when it comes to weight loss, muscular fitness, um, all that, it is because it feels so damn good. Uh, it's why you know you've heard me talk a lot about it 
not drinking anymore. I don't drink any alcohol. It has nothing to do with my Baptist upbringing or my scruples or that people are going to hell if they drank that alcohol, you know. No, it has nothing to do with it. For me, I have become obsessed with having a clear head and being able to to get up early in the morning and crush my workout, crush my walks, do my journaling with a clear head. So for me, everything is geared toward longevity and living healthier longer. Then when it gets down to the micro, some of the stuff you mentioned, the cold plunge, the uh, infrared heat, the it's all about um, finding these ways that are all interlocked. I mean, like you've learned from your cold plunge man, and especially someone that has a very, very uh, keen interest in managing glucose levels, that it's not just about getting yourself mentally tough by putting yourself in 40 degree water. No, it it helps regulate your glucose levels. It does help shock your body into a survival mode to where you increase metabolism. It clears your head. It does, there's a hormonal release. So learning those things, for me, it's just, it makes me feel better. So all of, and, and here's another good thing too, uh, Rob, that as I've gone further down this road of really dialing in my health and wellness, I don't do the soul crushing workouts I once did. I mean, like this morning, my workout consisted of a uh, about a two mile walk and a 30 minute um, VO2 pop. I mean, when I said VO2 max, I did a uh, two minute row, then four minute at a race pace, four minute cool down. That was it. And then I did some resistance training, which was the whole workout was 30 minutes. And then this afternoon, I might do a zone two on my bike for an hour, you know, just which for those who don't know, zone two is just conversational pace, getting to, you know, figure out what your zone two is. And it's just a long, slow burn. Um, So Really, everything. I want to. I want to. I want to focus on that. I'm, I'm sorry to step yeah, in, but you're it, speaking my language. You're like you're reading from the Gospel of Rob Howe right now, <laughs> and I love it um, because I think, especially as an elite athlete and recovering elite athlete, uh, we think of these uh, these workouts and these regimens that need to be extreme outputs. That if we're not going to the gym and not being able to walk after we're in there, uh, then we're not doing it right. Right. And I think that that uh, a lot of that is a little bit of like a Texas machismo, and also like in our foundation. If you're playing high school football, you're just going as hard as you can. And that's the only way that you learn. Uh, One of my good friends uh, who I was an intern with when I was an intern at the Olympic Committee uh, is uh, used to be the the strength coach of the Phoenix Suns uh, and was at Stanford University men's basketball. His name is Corey Schlesinger. And he is one of the architects of this uh, professional athlete training uh, apparatus called that he just calls microdosing, Mm -hmm. which is. Uh, basically elite NBA athletes play almost 82 games a year. So the amount of recovery time, because they also have travel uh, and uh, a ton of travel uh, in between that, they don't have the same time frame for us to, to work on a strength and conditioning program where they're going to make any gains mm-hmm. throughout an 82 game season. And so what typically would happen is that during the off season is when you do your heavy strength and conditioning and then during the season, you just kind of maintain. Well, what, he's introduced is like 15 minute chunks and on uh, sometimes on the same game days, sometimes on travel days, but consistency micro doses where you're getting in, you're doing one or two lifts, some mobility, maybe some, um, some fascia work or some, you know, uh, some stretching, some knees over toes guy type principles, some zone two cardio, uh, some cold plunge kind of recovery methods. And then if you add that up over time, uh, you know, you do fit by the, by the time you look back after a month and you've done 50, 15 minute workouts rather than three, two hour, you know, sweat sessions, mm. uh, you, uh, will have made more progress in the right areas. And because you're playing 82 games of basketball, your cardio shape obviously is, is top tier. So how do you work around that? And so I've been trying to adapt myself to that because I know if I crush myself in the gym to where I'm not able to answer the bell the next day then I'm going to look for any excuse. Like you said, we're wired to take the path of least resistance. I'm going to look for any excuse to just recover or just to do something simple. So how can I make sure that I'm able to answer the bell every day and continue to improve in a, a little bit at a time? Because I think whether it's fitness, whether it's success or business or content creation, you've got to fall in love with the incremental progress. And you know, for me, uh, I learned about myself as an athlete. When I was my best, when I was my most athletic, I was basically uh, a train 
did it was just putting as much coal in the engine as possible and going as hard as I could. Yep. Uh, I was not doing myself a lot of service, but I was young and adaptable. And so as I got older and, and lost that ability to adapt and lost that ability to just go straight through and run through a wall, I had to learn how to move differently. I had to address different um, energy leaks in my uh, hamstrings and in my squat and in my feet and allow myself to, you know, now to where I'm now 35, uh, I don't jump as high as I used to. I'm not as athletically impressive from like an aesthetics perspective, but I played over a hundred days of basketball at a high level last year wow. and I didn't get injured uh, and I was able to do that. And I played well and I'm happy with, with my performance. And I couldn't do that two years ago uh, without being in immense pain. Yeah. And so like the pain management, the strength and conditioning, like the incremental progress of, oh, hey, I can now rotate my hip much more open than I could six months ago. Uh, that's not something that when you're 25, you really celebrate. But when you're 35, you're like, oh, okay, wow, I am starting to see uh, some consistencies here. I'm more balanced. Uh, if I flip on, uh, you know, in the shower or, you know, uh, just a quick, or I'm carrying something down the stairs and I lose my footing briefly, my whole back's not damned up because I'm working myself through these, you know, adaptive protocols. And so, you know, I would really encourage people to, especially if you're just getting started, remember back to that beginner's mind, do a little bit at first and start mm -hmm. to learn and build a foundation just like you would with anything else. Because I think uh, if we go all out on the first day, we tap the VO2 max and we're doing one rep max on bench and squat, the next day you're not gonna be able to walk. So right. let's make sure that we you know balance it out. And to your point, sometimes the things that are the best for us are just a long two hour or two mile zone two cardio walk in the sunshine. Exactly. Uh, because we're, we're wired to be outside, to be moving and you know, uh, it hasn't been that long for our, our brains remember that, uh, you know, that's how we were built. Uh, and just because, you know, in, in Texas, in the modern day, it would not be very cool to live here without uh, modern day amenities like air conditioning and, uh, and houses and things that we have. Uh, but it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have access to those things. And we were thriving outside, you know, with, with good physical exertion, uh, hunting and gathering. Exactly. And that's the thing too, you mentioned something I think is very important that I tell people now. It's like, like when I was just having this conversation with my, my brother at my parents' house not too long ago, and he's, he's not happy with his weight and he's, you know, he's, he's borderline type two diabetic. And he said, I need to get Jason to coach me. He said, but he would kill me. And I'm like, actually I wouldn't. I said, that wouldn't do me no good. I said, I would want you to come back every time I asked you to do something. And the first thing we'd probably start with is walking. I mean, I just, that's what I tell everybody. If you're not doing anything, just yeah. go, go, go walk. You know, and you don't like, to your point, you don't have to do the cold plunge. You don't have to do the crazy stuff. I do the thing. And that's one of the things that flusters me to a certain degree is when people think that everything I do is a silent sales signal for them to, to do that thing. I don't look, I'm weird. I do weird stuff. And I, this is the closest thing I have to a hobby is my health. Okay. No, don't be like me. Instead, just figure out that your body is a use it or lose it proposition in, you know, you not getting injured should be your primary goal as you get older. I think that's an incredible advice you just gave. I mean, after all, I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday who, uh, the, the, the girl that cleans my teeth, she said that her mother had just passed away. She broke her leg and then she died not too long after that. And she'd had a hip replacement before that. And I said, well, did you know that if you are over 70 years old and you fall and break your hip or break a bone, there's a 40% chance you will be dead inside of a year. And her mom had just suffered that fate, bless her heart. And a lot of it is, you know, if we just let our bodies be sedentary for so long, they just can't recover the inflammation that comes from any kind of an injury. And, and if you just actually exercise and you can get into that like top 25% for your age group, then just exercising will reduce all forms of of morbidity by a, a factor of five, as Peter Tia famously says all the time. Our and we all are uh, we're card carrying members of the Church of Peter Atia. Oh yeah, uh, and so uh, last fall I. I, I try to be conscious when I see similar information from different sources who mm -hmm. don't necessarily overlap uh, mm -hmm. because I think that's a signal to me that I need to pay attention to it. Yeah. So last fall there, uh, Tim Ferriss put out a video about his morning routine and push-ups was a part of it. Yeah. I had never heard him say that before. Uh, and then the next week, uh, I believe the New York Times put out an article that said, uh, if you can do 40 push-ups uh, consecutively at any given time, 
that reduces your risk of morbidity from stroke, heart attack, cancer, and diabetes by 80%. No, no other factors. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, there's two things. Like Tim Ferriss is doing push-ups, uh, and you know, it seems like this is a good thing. I feel like I can do 40 push-ups, but I'm not sure. Let me, let me be able to say at any time mm-hmm. that, yes, I can knock these out. So I added that to my routine, and I was doing the cold plunges. I was taking the the medication. I was doing the the mindfulness and and you know loving kindness meditations mm-hmm. to keep myself motivated. And I was still really going through a difficult time. But I added those push ups, and now I'm like 270 days into it. I'm mm-hmm. doing 30 push ups every day, and I feel totally different. And it's not that big of a change. It's a micro change. But now I can answer definitively. Can you do 40 push-ups at any, any given time? Absolutely. I'll do them right now. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I know in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, like this is already putting me in the, in the top percentile for, uh, you know, being able to avoid the common killers of, of humans in 2023. And so, uh, like you said, uh, people don't correlate uh, hurting themselves from a fall with morbidity. Uh, but absolutely, it's, it's one of the top indicators uh, of that, uh, you know, sort of lagging, uh, final decade. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think if people were more aware of that, of how a little bit every day over a long period of time can help you avoid that type of, uh, of fate, obviously we're all going to die. Uh, but like you said, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be in the bunker on the ninth hole, uh, yeah. and just go, uh, call my number gets called or I'm, I'm going to be carrying something through the house and boom, my boom. number gets called. Um, rather than, uh, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, in a place where I'm, uh, incapacitated or I can't move or, uh, or I'm on some sort of life support. I think I want to make, I want to, uh, to use a, a phrase from one of my favorite movies, the town, I want to smoke it to the filter. Oh. I want to have, I want to go all the way down. Uh, and you know, so, uh, I think that a little bit of grace with, with yourself goes a long way as well. Uh, because if you can find that beginner's mindset and just enjoy walking and build a habit, uh, you know, or read James Clear's Atomic Habits, which I'm sure you've read. It is oh, yeah. unbelievably good. Um, just to find those little things that can cause huge change over time. Uh, I think you can really alter the course of your life by staying focused on doing the little things that are good for you first uh, and embracing those hard things. Uh, that's something that I think out of this random episode, if you took nothing else, like falling in love with incremental progress and doing those hard things uh, will open up a life for you that maybe you didn't think that you could do anymore. I could not agree more. And I'm about to have to bounce to my next, uh, I've got a, a Zoom call coming up, but I want to I want to say something to just reinforce that point. So John Wooden, I mean, you've been a basketball guy, you know, legendary NCAA basketball coach of the Bruins. First thing he would do with his recruits whenever he would bring them in, he wouldn't check their free throw. He wouldn't talk about this, how many games we're going to win. First thing he would do, bring them in, sit them on the floor and show them how to put their socks on. So that they and he would show them how to perfectly put their socks on, so that they would reduce the risk of getting blisters and those sort of. It was the little bitty inputs, and I think you nailed it, man. And it, and I think everything you just said, Rob, comes down to one word: consistency. It, and we can consistently do those little things. I love and the the whole micro dosing your workouts. Like for me, and here's another thing I want people to to remember too. And Ben Patrick, my gosh, you look at that dude; he's Quadzilla. Big thighs save lives. That's our foundation. Keep that foundation strong. I do. I have stronger legs now than I've had in years. I don't skip my squats and deadlifts. That posterior chain. Just figure out the things we need for survival. You know, looking like Johnny Bravo is you know with the little tiny you know waist and little legs and the big giant. Now that's probably not the best. And also. Uh, strength. You know, I think that, you know, again, going back to Peter Atia, you know, there's the difference between having huge muscles and, and just raw strength. And for longevity, it's raw strength that we want. We want to be strong. And that's something that I took for granted for a long time. I wasn't even doing, dude, when I first got my Peloton, I wasn't even doing resistance workout workouts anymore. I mean, four years ago, I was doing no resistance training until I really started digging into this and realizing that you have to do some resistance training. Those push-ups, that's why those are so money. Doing the push-ups, doing pushing, you know, resistance training of some sort. Again, it doesn't, don't, don't kill yourself. It doesn't have to be that. Just do something. Well, I think that's really important too, because you, like you said, you and I are, we're in a different category. We're, we're crazy. We're sickos. Yeah, we're, we're not trying jobs. To, we're trying to push the envelope. We're trying to optimize right. it. And 
um, you know, we have a lot of cool gear and we, we have a lot of cool toys because we nerd out over that. We love to do that. But a walk, you don't need any equipment for that. Uh, a push-up, you don't need equipment for that. A squat, you don't need equipment for that. You've got your body, uh, you know, a lunge. All these things are the best things for you. And I think so often the simplest things, they, we, we kind of we're like, oh, it can't be that easy. It can't be like uh, those things are always available to us. And so uh, if, you're, if you're thinking of or if you're in your mind, you're like, well, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have this structure. Uh, I don't have the time. You know, 10 pushups doesn't take very long. Right. Uh, and at the beginning, it takes a lot less time because, because you know, you can't even make it all the way through that. Right. right? So find, dedicating that time uh, and just being intentional, I think, is, you know, what allows those micro moments to, to turn into something big. And I know you got to jump, but I, but I just want to say thank you for, uh, for having me back. This was another great time well spent with, with Jason Wright on the random show. So I uh, hope somebody, I hope everybody got some, something out of this today. Brother, can't wait till we do it again. We're not going to wait. It's on me. We're not going to wait as long to to do the next one. And I, too, hope that you folks enjoyed it. So uh, let me do my little, let's see here. I fig- I'm going to do a little sign off real quick, Rob. So, boom. All right. So. There we go. We are. We're done with the the random show. Jason and Rob. He's Rob. I'm Jason. Hey, and whatever you do, and thank you for the the shout outs throughout the show, Rob. The mission of the Jason Wright Show truly is to improve always in all ways because I do think that the fruit of that will spill over into the rest of the world and make the whole the whole thing a better operation. So until we meet again, I'm out. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if you enjoyed it, please consider going out to Apple and leaving us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. Also, follow me on Insta at Jason right now. And don't forget, download the Vitruvian Lab app. I mean it. I want to be your personal peak performance trainer. I want to help you improve always and always. Lastly, check out my newsletter, The Vitruvian Letter. You can subscribe at jasonrightnow.com. And until we meet again, please continue to endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out.